Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Sarah Greenidge, who is an incredible woman. I met her doing my wellness podcast, my wellness documentary, rather. The the wellness documentary that they asked me to host, and they are audible. So, I'll say that again. The guest this week is Sarah Greenidge. I met her doing an audible documentary on wellness and we had a really interesting chat for that and then I asked her to come on tea with Alice and we met and we talked about everything from race to persuading people of things. She runs a business that asks uh, wellness companies and influencers who promote this idea of wellness and, and market it. She asks them to be more accountable to facts and data and I think that's a really useful thing that she does and we had a chat about that but that is by no means all that we talked about so listen on to the chat to find out what we talked about and thank you everybody who's been supporting me um, on Patreon, who's been supporting by sending emails, who's been supporting by telling friends or rating it on iTunes or doing any of those many things Um, that is greatly appreciated do come to the Soho Theatre. I'm doing a run from the 18th of December to the 6th of January with Andy Zaltzman as his sidekick. It's his show, um, and that should be fun if you're in London. If not, the trilogy is still available. And uh, those Audible documentaries, um, the one on meditation and neuroscience is up, uh, and the one on habit change is coming out soon, as is the one on wellness. So there's, there's stuff, there's stuff out there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. So who are you and what are you drinking? So my name is Sarah and um, I founded a company called Well Spoken and I've been a communications consultant for, for many, many years. And at the moment I'm drinking, drinking a cup of strong English breakfast tea. Strong English yeah. breakfast tea. You like it strong? With an emphasis on strong, yes. Yeah. Well, I, well, I like my tea quite weak as a general rule. Yeah. Um, particularly if it's bag tea. Yes. Because uh, then I feel like if you over, if you oversteep it, it gets a bit yeah. tanniny and chalky. Tanniny, that's the key. You've got to, to be honest, let it brew. That's the secret. I didn't with this one. So, But mind you, I'm using skimmed milk, so it's not as tanniny as I oh. normally would with... Because um, whole yeah, milk, whole the milk, fats yeah. cut out, the exactly. tanniness yeah, exactly. doesn't sound... It, it's not so pointy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what have you been wrestling with recently? Um, really good question. So um, a couple of things. I think the first one was actually uh, my raison d'etre at the moment, which is my... Um, the reason why I've kind of founded the company of what I'm doing, which is kind of to look at the credibility of the wellness industry. I think one of the things that's been really, really tough actually is um, trying to break the glass, the glass ceiling of actually um, getting companies, brands, people to actually think about how they communicate and being responsible and accountable. And actually the amount of pushback I've got has... Oftentimes, I wonder whether one is ever an achievable mission mm. to actually get people to have a change of mindset, and also the complete self doubt of is the approach we've taken the right one, um, which is quite tricky. It's, it's tricky when you're trying to convince people and they're not being convinced. <laughs> that's like the ultimate, like, um, welcome to my job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's really, really tough because it makes you. Um, reevaluate everything you're doing and I'm already as a person quite in my own head 
so that can you know I can get myself in a real downward spiral of potentially being overly critical of yourself of myself yeah so I guess maybe to unpack it a little bit more what are you trying to convince people of and how are you trying to convince them what tools are you using to convince them yeah so in short um what I find is that in wellness people communicate uh in a really f- I would say flippant and so wellness is like anything from you know fitness to healthy foods to meditation and yoga anything to do with um boosting your well-being mm-hmm. and how you feel and that's an industry now that's, that's a, yeah huge booming industry and what i've kind of found is that the way people kind of talk and when i say talk i mean corporately the corporate speak to us as the average people is um very marketing-y if that's such a word Mm -hmm. (laughs) lots of pretty pictures aesthetics naturally probably not very responsible um so that's in in a nutshell is what i'm trying to to get people to think about actually is the way that we're talking about well-being and wellness actually responsible are we actually making people make positive changes um or are we actually uh a nicer more earthy version of consumerism Mm-hmm. and actually are we just repackaging you know capitalism in, instead of buying you know your shoes and your you know designer handbags are you now purchasing something that seems more meaningful like going to yoga mm. um, and protein powders you know in terms of helping your health and that's the kind of what I'm trying to get people to think about actually just to be honest it's just getting them to think about it mm. and, and to spark that thought um and in terms of the way that I'm trying to go about it with this company is one thing I, I realised very, very early on is I needed to find some evidence to show people that the way that they were communicating wasn't accurate or correct or irresponsible. And the way that we kind of do that is through our audits. Um, and actually trying to get someone to do something, that's the, that is the the right thing and I use that word loosely but the right thing communicate well just on you know uh, I guess calling to their inner altruism Mm. hasn't really worked I I realized that really early on that people are making a lot of money why would they change this is really interesting my dad um, did this with copyright in Australia so he set up the first copyright collecting society in Australia for books print works and he went to government as a young young man, a CEO of himself and a printer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this not-for-profit company and tried to get, I mean, lobby the government to yeah. put in place these kind of regulations that would make it easier to yeah. collect money and give it back to the authors and publishers. And he said he went in to one of the kind of the greeny senators at the time, this left-wing yes. person, and he's, he explained what he was doing and this guy was nodding along and saying, that sounds great, that sounds great. And he finished his spiel and the guy went, what's in it for me? And my dad said, well, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And this guy, this lefty guy, like, laughed him out of the office, yeah. like just laughed in his face. Yeah. And so I think... I feel like that's sort of one thing. And the other thing from what you've just said that it makes me think about wellness, which is like when I think of wellness, I think of these kind of Instagram influencers and yes. YouTube stars and personal trainers who who present this, you know, idealised image of themselves as an example of what you could be if you yes. do the things that they do. Yeah. 
And I think part of that, it crosses over into entertainment. Uh, 100%. And so as an entertainer, you know, as a a comedian, I don't feel obliged to cite my references. I go between truth and lies relatively freely because I'm pursuing some sort of greater message. Yeah. You know, I'll exaggerate something for the purposes of a story or, you know, to get the laugh or I'll cut out characters or I'll put two people together into one character because they represent something to me. And so if I'm just an entertainer, then that's fine. If what I'm doing is influencing people, which I think I try to do in my comedy, certainly things like my trilogy, I try to get people to think about stuff. Yes. And at least I'm not being prescriptive. I'm just saying think about this. And so my, my whole show is to guide people... Yeah. to have a thought or to have a, a, a new look at themselves and I'm not telling them what to then do with that with yeah. that feeling. But I think when it comes to the kind of Instagram influencers, wellness industry, yeah. personal trainers, television shows, all of that stuff, it becomes blurry because but you're... Very blurry. Completely. You're asking people to do things that are the kind of things their doctors tell them to do. Yeah, and there's this, this weird grey line between... Because um, health and wellness, we say it together, but there's kind of a, there's a distinction. You know, there's stuff that we can, you know, try and remedy at home or think about what we want to do at home. But then there's stuff that we we realise is above our pay grade, <laughs> even as as you know owners of our own bodies. And then we'll go to a doctor if we you know have an ailment. And I think, except sometimes you won't. This is true. So you have that kind of, I mean, the classic example of that is the Gwyneth Paltrow goop movement where they're deliberately saying don't see your doctor, where they're saying this medical science is is lies or it's the pharmaceutical industry. industry. Big bad pharma, yeah. And so, in fact, you should ignore what your doctor is telling you and instead focus on these therapies and it's almost a badge of honour that they're unproven. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the more alternative, the more authentic... And the more, um, you know, it's away from mainstream convention of what we know, somehow the more likely it is to provide you a cure. That's kind of like the, the, the dream you're sold. Yeah, and I mean the classic, the classic example of that is you see those banner ads that says, your doctor doesn't want you to know this. Mm. Which I mean, literally, seems, my worst nightmare, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems bananas to me, that, that yeah. then it's almost... a. And I get it. Like, I get where that's coming from. And I, because I was trying to write an article about anti-vaxxers some years ago. Yeah. And I always find it useful to try and see something from their perspective. Yes. And, you know, it's totally understandable. You think about the thalidomide kids. You think about yeah, absolutely. various chronic illnesses that doctors dismissed for years as yes. being imaginary MS, no, which my mum exactly. had for one for many years was seen as an imaginary disease, yes. a yes, psychosomatic yes. disease. And then on the other hand, you have the reality that the placebo effect has some effect. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the, the, you know, thinking about even doubt in general is, is, and where it fits into health and, and science and wellness is that actually nothing is absolute. Mm. And I think that's the, has been the challenge in the way that we have communicated health in general for decades is this is what it is, full stop. And so the way that we've learned to interpret health information is, you know, whatever is told to us, there can be no room for um, to learn more 
or even to say that this might be too blanket there may be like sub bullets under whatever we've been you know given and because we talk in these absolutes um I, I, I even mean that from a healthcare kind of doctor perspective as we know now science changes and what exactly we said what we thought 10-15 years ago we now know not to be true so it now looks as if we've been lied to and it actually probably isn't that we were lied to is that we weren't honest that we didn't have full understanding yes yeah and that's all so then this is this like part of this kind of couple of things at play there yeah one is we don't like people who change their minds exactly we don't like public figures who change their minds for whatever reason we don't like to see a politician no. changing their mind which the seems, u-turn is the worst thing in the world yeah whereas yeah. i think that's a great thing if yeah. i see someone go actually i was wrong yeah we need to do this instead absolutely and it's it's part of this idea that you're your ideas your beliefs are part of your identity yes and so to contradict the, your belief or to reframe your belief or to turn your belief around yeah. is a sign of a false identity of, yes. of some kind of a fake yeah. selfhood yeah and then you think well if they, if they can change their mind about this, this. maybe they can change yeah. their mind about anything yeah, yeah. but that's what you want in medicine right you want yeah. people to update the information absolutely and i think you also it speaks to a wider mentality of the lack of constantly seeking for truth, however you define that, mm. but also constantly um, being in a state that you could learn more information. You, you don't have all the pieces mm. at any one time. Mm. And I think people are uncomfortable with that. And you, the moment you get comfortable with that, I think it's it's easier than to unpick and look at things and, and kind of analyse things critically. Um, one of the things my mum also weirdly bring religion into it, but I um, grew up in the Christian faith, have have that faith myself, and there was there's a there's a kind of a proverb that always stuck with me that actually take I take out of a faith setting and and think about in the rest of life, which is we only know in part. And actually, if you kind of, kind of have that um, ideology in everything, you are then open to change. You're open to new ideas. You're open to innovation, and you're also open to being challenged and not taking it personally because you never feel like you have the full picture at any one time. Yeah. So in in part part of the problem with you trying to convince people yeah. to change the way that they're presenting their information is that then they you're telling them that they're wrong and and maybe wrong is bad and wrong is evil and wrong is, yeah. you know, it's sort of an undermining of their authenticity, yeah. adding a footnote into their, like we're much more likely to be convinced by the evidence of our own eyes at 100% than we are by data which can be so expansive that it becomes meaningless. Yes, I, exactly. I was doing this um, documentary for Audible on habit change and I can't remember the exact numbers. You'll have to download it uh, when it comes out. But it's something like it takes between... They did this study, mm-hmm. long-term study on habit change, trying to get people to change their habits. And there's uh, an often cited number that you have to do something 31 times yeah, before it becomes yeah, yes, a habit. Yes, yes, yes. This woman did this study, and it, it's a, you have to do something between 17 and 250 times before I mean, it becomes a habit. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. Which is a, yeah. such a broad range yeah. that it becomes almost meaningless. So recommendations by doctors are things that are coming from huge data, yeah. data pools 
And so it can feel like that's not relevant to you as an individual. Yes. You understand your own body and you understand that when you drink tea with rocks in it, it makes you feel better and therefore... Yeah, that's the data that you use, the, the, the micro data that you use as opposed to these macro trends. Which, you know what, in reality, there's a place for both. And somewhere in the mid- middle of those two points of data is probably where it's right. But it's getting people to accept that truth that we may not have all the pieces and also that we have to be open for improvement and I think that's the biggest challenge I've had when I've been talking to these these companies and you know let's just take out right and wrong because that is so subjective Mm. but if we think more about is it possible that this could be improved and it's amazing the amount of people that refute even that idea that it, that it could be improved. improved. And to me, everything can be improved. You know, because we don't... We, we learn new things, we, we find out more information, we put stuff in, we, we discover new things, and therefore there's room for improvement. So it's just this weird hold on absolutism, which I've, I just find extraordinary. And I think what's happened is, as I've um, kind of focusing on this niche area it's amazing how it kind of opens your eyes to seeing it across the board and things that I'm you know just in you were mentioning something about even with politicians and I was um I can't remember what 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 the policy was but Theresa May had made a u-turn and literally they were gunning her and the press and I was I think I was watching Sky BBC News and actually when you read into the story they had new information and they realized that that policy wasn't going to work and that was that made complete sense to me in terms of yeah actually it's no point doing a policy just because you said it was a good idea contrary to evidence yeah and actually what's amazing is how often we do that in general yeah being i guess um being so wedded to a vision or a mission that we so tunnel vision that we don't we're not open to new things to change course and I think it's about the ag- agility of thought mm. and actually if you don't have that that's the root of being anti-change how would you say that you could cultivate agility of thought or do you think it's kind of a natural that you have it or you don't I think oh yeah, I think at a base some people are in- intrinsically curious and I think that that helps with that because you're 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 naturally seeking something outside of yourself i think in general is to interrogate views or evidence that is opposed to what you think would be to me the natural thing is is there a nugget there that you aren't aware of and you, you may even come back more resolute in your view because you've you know you've actually studied the the evidence like that's what i i've always wondered actually people that are afraid to challenge their own thinking in whatever setting well it's it's hard it is super hard to challenge your own thinking i think yeah. there are a few people can think their way out of a box that they're in because the terms of reference and the terms yeah. of by which you assess validity are yes are so movable uh yeah are in your head what you think is right is right because you, the things that you think are right and the things that you use to measure rightness yeah. are um, you can just put yeah, just pop it down. Um, the things that you use to measure rightness are kind of already 
you know, the, the measurement statistics are, are geared towards you get where I'm headed yeah. with that. And also it's, it's based on your, your upbringing. There's so many factors that determine the yeah. way that you logically assimilate information for sure and in the end it often comes down to what feels right yes. and that is dictated by yeah your yeah. upbringing your environment the people who are around you which is why i think it's it's troubling to me when when debates are happening now yes that they're not happening in good faith yes and that there's no sort of conciliation or concession there's a fear that if you yes conciliate or concede anything you are basically the Neville Chamberlain arguing yes, for appeasement yeah. of the Nazis and, yes. you know, yeah. that whole thing. There's this immediate leap to an extreme yes. oppositionality so that debates are just about showing your your own opinion rather than going to where they are yeah. and saying, I see where you're getting that. Yeah. It comes down to, do you want the best outcome or do you want to be right and I think for a lot of people, they want to be they right. Want to be right, and yeah. they don't know what the best outcome would look like no. or how to get there. And it's this. I was talking about this with Tiff Stevenson on this podcast last week um, about the the fact that people think they understand something until they begin to be asked questions yes. about the specifics. Yes. So you'd say, "Oh yeah, I know how the internet works." Yes. And then you get down to the nitty-gritty. And then so, so people go, okay, so what is it? Is it, you know, and then you end up with saying it's a series of tubes. It's, you realise you don't know all the things. No. How does a car work? Okay, you know, yeah. what is an engine like? I think I know how a car yeah. works, but what are all of the pieces? And then how do you put together a car? And where do you get the parts for yes. the car? And where do you get the materials to make yeah. the parts for the car? And you realise that everything is so much more complicated than mm. you want it to be. Yeah, and, and we hold on to concepts and we, we are comfortable with that we that we we are comfortable with almost our lack of understanding when it comes to grasping abstract concepts. And then that's all that is needed to satisfy us in terms of um holding fast to those concepts. Mm. It's just the it's the it's seeing the overall picture and not seeing that it's made up of lots of little jigsaw pieces yeah um but i think as a society we're happy to just say well that picture is of a tree you know and 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 that's it and then we 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 don't need to do any digging and then actually when we're challenged or asked questions that's when you can kind of see two reactions either kind of confusion or a defensiveness because somewhere and I really think that's where the defensiveness comes from in terms of when we, we are kind of we meet someone that's oppositional to our view or or brings another perspective is that we our awareness is suddenly heightened that we don't know the detail and then the our own internal barometer of actually I believe in something that I don't understand makes us almost feel ashamed yeah yeah, absolutely. And then it also comes down to this thing of of the facts that you choose to back up your yep. argument or your belief might be completely different facts. Yes. And they might not even be con- contradictory sets of facts. Yes. You just are not addressing the same 
fact is your opposition. Exactly. And I, I, again, I come back to things like immigration because that's yes. obviously a hot button issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where some people are looking at the numbers, they're looking at a graph that shows increasing numbers of immigration, yeah. they're looking at another graph that shows decreasing quality of life. Yes. They're looking at the fact that, you know, their friend just got fired and was yeah. replaced with a cheaper labourer from overseas. Yeah. And those that's the fact scenario that they're using to build a completely rational yes. view yep. that Im- immigration is, is correlated with a worse life for them and their friends yes. and family. Yeah. And then on the opposition side, you you have people who are listening to the facts of individual stories yes. of hardship and and going, well, that's the most important thing, these individual stories of yes. hardship and the compassion that I feel for other individuals. And they're not looking at these other numbers and they're not... No. Or, or if they are looking at them, they're immediately dismissing them. Yes. And... So it's, and it's no impossible to have yeah. a conversation because on one side, you know, they're saying, oh, I lost my job. And the other person is saying, that's because you're shit at your job. But yes. there's no actual engagement with no. the idea of like, what if that is true? Yes. I don't know. I actually don't know if that's true or not. No. And how do I find that out? And, and if it isn't true, then I need to find out how it isn't true yes. and show you how it isn't true. Yeah. Because otherwise it's two people with perfectly reasonable, well-founded beliefs yes. on two different fact scenarios. Yes. Two, uh, it, becomes, it becomes... It's not exactly apples and oranges, but it's two, two different... It's Bramley and Cox. It's two different <laughs> types of apples. And I think the... One thing that you kind of... Going back to your original question when you were like, how do you actually... What tools do you use to kind of enable yourself to have those conversations is often people don't want to go into... Um, conversations or debates or looking for the common ground Mm. because if you start with the common ground of actually we have a problem Mm. we don't need to go into the specificity of you know what the the granular detail of the problem but if we can both accept that we are both unhappy here in whatever the the parameters are Mm. then at least you start off on a level playing field the moment I think Often what I found is people just in general in life, people are starting off individually feeling more superior to the other party. And it's never gonna work because you're just gonna you're naturally if you take that stance. And it, it it's not um superiority it sounds very harsh because it's not it's not a conscious standpoint. It's a it's a subconscious standpoint. Yeah, well it, well your wealth or your I mean human understanding of yes. wealth is entirely relational. Yes. We don't say, look, I have enough food to eat and I'm not dying of the plague, (laughs) therefore I am wealthy. We don't think I am wealthier than, you know, in terms of access to fresh varieties of different things and clean water and medical care, I'm wealthier than kings would have been 200 years ago. We think I am way less wealthy than that dude over there. Yeah. Because he has more things than I have he has better yes. things than I have and so it's it's really hard mm. that that goes in every area of yes. society I agree completely and the things by which we measure our rightness or goodness again they're on different scales often scales that are dictated by our own skills and abilities so if for example I am on the right wing yes I will value myself for being uh, sensible 
Yes. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with the realities. I'm not a softy. I'm not, no. easy, I'm not easily moved by feelings or, yeah. you know, I'm not wishy-washy. I'm it not trends. virtue signaling. Exactly. I deal with the facts. Yes. And then if you're on the left, you will say, I am a human being who sees other human beings as equal. And that is yes. the most valuable thing. I, I see human beings as more equal than you do. do. And yes. therefore I'm better than and you. And therefore I'm better. And, it, you know, even the concept of... The, even the concept of being left or right to me always literally boggles my mind because how can anyone, you know, there is really nothing in life if you take yourself outside of politics or, or you know, or social cues or anything that, that I 100% align myself to that I don't have questions over. And, it, you know, even the concept of people... Um, you know, obviously, you can tell I'm incredibly centre. Um, yeah. <laughs> Even people aligning themselves so firmly to, to left and right is again an indication to me of this. Um, you know, are, are you wedded to this idea, no matter the potential truth, or actually, are you looking for solutions, or are you looking for a, an answer? Because that that's a, a tricky thing in terms of. Again, it comes back to, um, do I just want to be right or do I just want to fit this narrative? And then am I going to then get myself into an echo chamber, whether that be, you know... I, I, one of the things that really, in retrospect, made me, made me laugh was people were so... For instance, Brexit in mm. London. And, you know, people on you know, Twitter, were, and especially the London-centric group, were absolutely in shock the, the vote when it went it, the way it did and it was similarly I mean I, I was listening to um a journalist in the US that actually said on the night of the election they had already pre-written that Hillary had won and you know at three o'clock in the morning had to go back and rewrite the paper because they were so sure of their echo chamber chambers that this was the way that it was going but that wasn't a picture of reality and so the way that society has gone actually has been a stark reminder that often we can be shocked. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there's, there's this argument that I've seen, just, just to challenge mm -hmm. your centrism, there's an argument that I've seen that being this kind of centrist or, yeah. or trying to stay balanced is itself... Um, An idealistic... A refusal to yes. be part of the fray. It's yes. a it's yes. a self indulgent thing, I mean, holding yourself outside yes. of the out yes. of the fight, and you don't have any. You're pretending you don't have any skin in the game, and that is in itself a privileged position, position. and an exercise of privilege, which I agree with to a certain extent. And so do I. But I also yeah. think this is one of the problems of the narrative of privilege that is happening, yeah. which is that if you have a privilege. Yeah. It's a privilege. Yes. You should exercise your privilege and enjoy your privilege and yeah. acknowledge your privilege. You shouldn't use it to shit no, no, on other people. Diminish but, on other people, yeah, of course. But if you, have, if you have things, if you have the great luxury in life of being able to stand back because your life isn't in danger and assess things in a kind of a mechanical, rational way or in a compassionate way, because you have enough, you know, self-indulgent lefties have yes, enough yeah, 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 exactly, food to exactly. eat and they're not yeah, having their yeah, jobs yeah, exactly. taken away. If you have either of those privileges, yeah, use them. 
why would you not use them? That's like saying I'm not going to drink clean water because other people don't have clean water. No, it's true. You know, even kind of challenging my own thinking. (laughs) Good. To to echo what you're saying, you know, um, it's a really difficult one because, you know, so I take myself personally, there's some things I would say that I'm on some issues, I'm more right-leaning, some issues I'm more left-leaning. And actually that's the problem with being, probably firmly in the centre is that it's not that easy in, in a way it can almost be a harder position because you can't just throw yourself into one bucket you have opposing or contrary views on different things and I, I think about um, what you were saying about standing back and that is a luxury and then there's the flip side to that because I always remember this poem that always stuck with me and always made me feel incredibly guilty whenever I think about it was it was a priest um, during the second world war it was a German priest and he wrote this poem which I, I paraphrase badly but he essentially said that you know they came for the Jews I said nothing they came for the disabled people I said nothing and then finally they came for me and there was no one to say anything mm-hmm. and it's kind of uh, in my own thinking of this standing back at some point um do we still we the easy option is to stand back and not get involved in the fray and often we i would say i personally do that because i don't agree with say left i don't agree with say right but i don't have a solution yeah and see so, I, I would say that then like part of the solution is to go in and complicate matters yeah i part mean of, part of the solution is to say do you have a solution wait a minute what is what yes what challenge. are the outcomes yeah, yeah. yeah. how would how yeah. would we put this together? together yeah i mean it's true. It, how would you make Brexit happen? For example, if yes. people had asked that maybe a year and a half ago, there might have been an answer or someone yeah. would have had to come up with an answer, yeah. not just the, the complete... Being angry about either way. Yeah. yeah, so that's a... I mean, this is the other thing. This was a one of those facts that has seeped into my yes. head. I read, this, I read this somewhere and I immediately absorbed it and now mm-hmm. recited it as my own idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was kind of mind-boggling to mm. me as somebody who, in comedy, if mm-hmm. not in the world, um, in comedy, women are underrepresented. Yes. And I was very used to this kind of fun little habit, fun little game of when you see a lineup that is all men, you just go, ugh, yes. crap. If you see yeah. a panel of men talking about women in comedy, you're like, this is bullshit, you need to have a woman on that panel. That, woman, that panel should be all women. And I, I believe that this is one of those things where I believe that to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. But then this little enlightening thing, uh, it was probably even just a tweet. Yeah. But uh, someone was talking about uh, victims of sexual mm-hmm. assault and um, they said one of the, one of the symptoms of PTSD, yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder, um, is that you are triggered by things, Mm -hmm. which means by definition you see a threat as bigger than it might be. Yeah. So you see a reminder of something that was a horrifying, life-changing threat and and you perceive that reminder as though it were the threat itself. Yes. So someone held a knife to your throat. Yeah. Someone pulls out a knife to cut a sandwich and and you you react as though it were being held to your throat. Um. And that as a result of that, the people who are affected by something, and the, again, this is the revelation for me, 
where I was like, you need to have people who've been affected by the thing. You need yes, to have representatives at, at the table. I still believe that. But you also need people who haven't been affected by the thing because the people who have been affected by the thing, they understand it mm. through their personal experience, but they might not be the best people to have an objective view no. on the thing. Because for them, that's the thing, the whole thing, yep. because it's such a big thing. No, I completely agree. And, and I just yes. remember being kind of just... And I, I, again, it's one of those things that's now a part of my thinking about the world yes. of, of, on one hand, your personal experience is... Uh, defines you yes and your understanding of the world and so you need to have that yes the lived experience yeah, yeah, yeah. thing is super valuable super important you need to have people go yeah I understand that statistically I might not matter but when somebody does this it, yes, it, it ruins my day yes yes, yes 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 and then you know that's important to know yes but equally you need to have the person in the room who says but that's not a threat. We can't stop men walking out at night just because some women feel threatened because no, statistically no, no. you're unlikely to be attacked. Yes. And the woman goes, but my lived experience is I walk home afraid every night. Yeah. So just put men indoors yes. and that yeah. solves the problem. <laughs> and throw away the key. Yeah, the there morning. should be yeah, a curfew yeah. for men because if, yeah. if all men are indoors, then I don't have to feel afraid yeah, yeah, yeah. at night. Then you have the person going, well, yeah. statistically, you actually are unlikely to be attacked by a stranger at night. So yeah. your fear while it's no less real, no. shouldn't affect policy in this area. No, That's an agree. example. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, if I even take that back to the kind of wellness field, this is the ultimate battle that I kind of face every day is your anecdotal evidence, your personal experience of how you think Reiki contributed to curing your cancer cannot be the baseline for us to change you know, the way that we operate, because actually, statistically, there isn't a correlation. Yeah. And I think one of the tricky things with that is, you know, one of the things I, I found most difficult is how to communicate that delicately to people to say that your, your lived experience matters. Does it matter to, in the sense, to change the way that we do things? No. Does it change where we should be looking for more answers? Yes. Yeah. And that's, for me, where you can find the middle ground to let you see you've been heard and we acknowledge you, but also we can't just suddenly, you know, we can't just, we can't get rid of actual evidence. And I think one of the things that has been really interesting with that is getting people to understand the idea of variables Mm. which is yes as you were saying before there could be a correlation but actually you know the fact that you I don't know I'm making this up you had also gone to a plant-based diet and had moved out of the city and had stopped working could but, but in your mind that's not the data you're looking at you're just looking at these two correlating factors and how often I think we do that in life in general and because the moment we start to consider variables, it becomes complicated. And because we don't want complicated, we kind of focus on the areas that we want to focus on. Because suddenly the conversation becomes really complex and it's no longer, as you said, you know, immigration and, you know, uh, quality of life. Yeah. It, it's not that simple anymore. So actually, is it 
It's also, not as simple as I no. am a compassionate human being. No, it's not as simple. No. Is it actually the fact that, you know, throwing in the fact that part of the strain that we feel, you know, living in urban cities is actually the lack of housing. And actually the lack of housing comes through, I don't know, the influx of foreign buyers driving, the who actually are not here, they don't live in the country, but they're driving up prices. Now suddenly that has nothing to do yeah, with nothing the to do with immigration <laughs> at all. But, but it con- it's a contributing pressure factor. But suddenly... And also then the data set that you might be looking exactly. at is number of foreign buyers, which you then naturally enough go, well, and it's it's the immigrants. They're it, all buying up the yeah, houses. exactly. And actually... It's you know, not. It's, it's, it's billionaires. It's, it's billionaires. It's oligarchs here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but that suddenly... Um, Something horrendous in Sydney, like a third of waterfront property in Sydney is empty or in like some suburbs of Sydney is empty because it's been bought by wealthy foreigners who are there for like a couple of weeks a year. Yeah. And it's the same. I read some stat that was interesting that we were saying, I mean, in London, they're trying to do this cap on this and in Canary Wharf, apparently everything's empty, you know, and, and, but the problem with that is that suddenly the solution, let's say, and, that, and that's an oversimplification, but an area of, that we may need to focus on is not an area that you particularly felt passionate about. Yeah. And it doesn't fit your narrative anymore. And actually, we have to fix five contributing factors, not one. Yeah. And, you know, for me, just, just interestingly, like understanding everything from quantum physics <laughs> to clinical trial data the world is never as simple as two correlating factors no no absolutely not and so as somebody who is a compassionate activist for immigration being told that the thing that you should focus on is foreign real estate tax- taxation re- yes regimes. <laughs> i mean that doesn't appeal to your sentiments do you know I mean? in terms of i can understand for all of us in whatever the subject is suddenly it that's, throws that's us. not the no. very Instagrammable volunteering no. at a refugee also, shelter. you know, that comes... You know, I, I, I was looking at this thing, actually, which was... Um, I, I don't know how to pronounce it properly. I think it's called Ikigai, and it, it's essentially the Japanese theory of how do you find the ultimate centre of purpose? And it's something, it's like, it, to simplify it, it's what you're good at, what will change the world, what you can get paid for... Um, and what would be productive and essentially the amalgamation of all those things brings you know the perfect thing and depending on your personality type you will focus nobody really focuses on those four factors so depending on your personality type you will shift towards you know the world saving stuff but you won't have any money or you'll shift towards the money paid stuff and and that will dictate how you you know structure your life and structure your career and structure what you do with, with yourself and actually that's just a, to me I always I looked at that and thought actually how applicable is this probably to the way that we even view things yeah depending on our sentiments we lean towards different views and it's the, this acceptance that that we have bias because I think that's the problem I think as even as I guess somebody of color even with the, the debates on, um, you know, privilege in that, that setting and, and talking to people about trying to challenge behaviours that have been historic. I think one of the things that's been quite interesting is, for all of us, but particularly if, you know, you're in a structure that 
caters to you, which is you have more privilege in whatever the society you're living in, is the acceptance of bias is so sullied and dirty mm. that it actually robs us of the ability to tackle it. Yes, yes. So this idea that um, telling somebody that they have privilege is almost an insult. Yes. Rather than... Uh, yeah. And also, I mean, this is sort of unfortunately enough being kind of uh, uh, become an insult. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you have things like, for example, white feminism. Yes. Which is seen as a kind of a selfish um, focus on the right or the privileges yeah. of, of white of women. The elite yeah, issues. Yeah, of white women as in relation to yeah. white men rather yeah. than in the context of the full yes. spectrum of experiences. And it's it's such a it's such a sad thing mm-hmm. that it's not. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but there's something really sad about it to me of mm. of turning it into uh, a competition like that. The, the oppression Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or some sort of zero sum game. Yeah, as as though progress needs to happen all at once. Mm. or not at all, that we can't acknowledge or celebrate gains for one group mm-hmm. at the same time as yeah. making... Yes, waves and others. I guess it depends, I think. Well, I mean, you can see it on an individual level really yes. quite easily. So yes. if I see, you know, it used... To, so I've been looking up... Um, Mock the Week clips. Yes. Because I was writing some jokes for someone who was doing a topical news quiz. Yeah, yeah. And you look at the Mock the Week and you think there's two women on the panel. That's nothing. That's yeah. nothing. And and the fact that they're there is, is I guess, it's a good thing. Yeah. But there's only, they're all white, you know. Yeah. And, and It's almost not enough. And they've got one person of Asian descent. Yeah. But yeah. then what about all the other things? And then I started looking back and back and back kind of, binging these episodes yes. to try and get the voice in my head of, of how these jokes should be. And you look even back to 2011 and it is 100% white men mm. on that panel and it strikes your eye as like, yes. oh, that's weird. Yes. And that, that, that it looks really alien and foreign to me now. And you think, wow, we've actually come a yeah. huge distance. We've come yeah. a huge distance. Yeah. And, and the rest of it, you know, the more that that, progress is celebrated and acknowledged and enjoyed and the less it's seen as not enough yeah like I don't think I don't know this is one of those ones that I'm super confused about because on one hand you need to go you need to go oh that's great what's next that's not you have to know that it's not enough yes to keep to keep striving but at the same time responding to every victory with that's not enough is not it doesn't no help it's not useful it needs no. to be look like anger and disappointment isn't good fuel no it's like you want to go this is amazing look what we look how far we've come now we look how look how far we've come look how far we're able to come imagine how much further we can go yes that seems like such a better way to approach yes. it to me and again i could be absolutely wrong well it depends you know because I think some things don't change until you burn the table down no this is the thing i think also the the flip side to that is when 
you are at the bottom of the totem pole. Mm. So, which again is why this makes it so hard because it's, you know... Um, I mean, in terms of your understanding of the world, who is at the bottom of the totem pole as a, as a class or genre of person? I think it would be my personal view in... So, within sitting within Western society... Because I think that's the other thing you have to re, you have to segment it down demographically. Within yeah, a lot Western, of these yeah, I mean, arguments don't yeah don't, don't work when you go elsewhere. So in Western society, I think you know Europe, US, um, Australia, Australia. Sorry, of course, <laughs> Australia. I, was, I was trying to wrap my head around the picture of the globe. Yeah, um, I would say that women of color are at the bottom, mm-hmm. and I say that coming from so which is again weird to say coming from that category of people but the top end mm-hmm. because actually being um of of biracial origin but my mother's white my father is from the caribbean um i am even aware of where i sit within that bottom tier which is at the top in terms of I've, I have more access than say um, women of colour who are descendants from two, two black parents or wh- wherever they're from and I think one of the challenges with that is um, I can give you an example when I was working with, with firms um, one of the things I, I was working in predominantly white industries fine no problem with that it's just what it is there there hasn't been really it's not an area when I was working in communication regulations where I think there's a a big infiltration of people of colour in that particular area Mm -hmm. as opposed to other fields like medicine let's just throw it out there like that so that that's not a shock what I I think was then difficult was when I'm sure you would have heard when the um the uh pay scales came out mm. this is what, in terms of women particularly and the Office of National Statistics in the UK I always knew I was underpaid I always knew I was underpaid I always knew I was underpaid compared to my white female counterparts I knew it what I just didn't have was any because you don't have access to people's salaries I knew that was the case I knew the promotion rate was different there was so few of us that it was easy to track this is all anecdotal because really that you can't I can't go to HR with any of that yeah. You, know, you know and also those are very very big accusations to be fair i mean and again as you said before there's never just two correlates no there's no two exactly could it be that actually you know being frank when i looked at the other correlations i came from you know a, a now closed down comprehensive in a suburb of in the london in the london and they all went to private boarding schools they did better than me at different grades. Are they more capable? You know, that, that's... You know, that or, or even that there is, there is something about, um, about a shared background. Yes. And this is something with... For sure. Um, with booking for comedy clubs, again, yeah. to bring it back to my experience, is people who are bookers yes. book the people they find funny. Personally. It makes sense. And the people they find funny 
sometimes, more often than not, are people who have the same reference points as uh, them. Absolutely. And so on and same so forth. Yeah. And so in terms of working in a team yeah. and being a team player yeah. and being and that's important for a business. Yeah, of course. Then they will tend to promote right. people who they have experience of, people yeah. who they understand, people who they feel aligned with on other vectors. Yes. And so in their subjective Yes. understanding of the scenario, sure. your race doesn't play no, a part at all. Not. It's no. just that it has played a part in your life experiences up until that point. point. Yeah. And so those other factors yes. are affected. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the code word for me working in, in kind of big corporate was also always, you know, are they the right fit? Yeah. And actually, let's unpack what are they the right fit means. Um, and actually, of course, you know, the company I was working at, at the time, a, f- a friend of mine was like, do you realise that all that something was like forty percent of the new hires were connected to the network of the CEO? It's not a problem. I mean, that's what nepotism is, you know. It, it, but it's it's not because they, they there was no there's no insidious conspiracy theory here. To it, it's just literally the network. So you bring in people that you know that are a reference point that you can kind of vouch for on a personal level and the, and, and the, the nature of being vouched for on a personal level again this yes. is a reason why nepotism works is because if i hire my uh, my n- uncle's friend yes that friend has a vested interest in doing well for me because otherwise I sh- he embarrasses my uncle yes and my uncle is ashamed of yeah that and there is a known factor that i can use as a guarantee yeah which is the the network or the social circle for sure and i think that's one of the 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 tricky things the problem is is that when you have historically not when you are not in those social circles the ladder then is missing a few rungs (laughs) and that's really difficult and the, the the what can happen i think and this is the and I don't have a solution for that. What, what is very difficult is to, yes, progress is being made, but at the individual cost of so many. And then it's hard to explain to people that, yes, this little bit of progress, maybe a little bit of progress, and it's over time. And like you, you mentioned in terms of just, what, that six years to actually see a, a bit of a, it's moved the needle, you know, mm. in terms of that, that panel show. But the needle has moved. But personally is that needle move at that increment mm. do i deem that worthwhile when i find find out you know i've been paid ten thousand pounds less a year well yeah so this is the other thing of realizing that the needle can move yes makes you furious uh, yeah. that it hasn't moved yes. before and if it can move yes. why hasn't it moved the whole yes, way absolutely. like just because you accept the world as it is and then you suddenly go uh, wait, wait this could have changed yeah. the whole time yeah and that's and that's what, what you have is you have a, had a lot of people that um, I saw this T-shirt which is really interesting which was um, it was people uh, that were using it in the Black Lives Li- Black Lives Matter movement and it said I am not my grandparents and I really tried to unpick that and I was thinking my own grandparents who came here in the, the Windrush and I was thinking actually what does that mean is because when I talk to my grandparents for instance there is an utter resolute peace that this is the way that the world was we need to accept it and, um, and the gratitude as well because yeah. they're again your sense of wealth is relational and yeah so you know where you came from you know how hard it is for other people yeah. or was for other people of your generation absolutely and you understand the consequence of not falling in line 
Mm. You know, and so, but for us, you know, as well, well, my second generation, first generation, um, the those consequences are not so apparent. So, for using that example, um, you know, my dad in England, in London, in the seventies, you know, having his teeth knocked out by skinheads in West Norwood was not a reality for me. Yeah. Growing up, that, that, that wasn't. Yes, the, you know, we had covert racism and, and, and it was more subtle, but that was never a reference point for me. So my, my um, anger at the respectability politics, my um, feeling jaded at their seeming apathy towards resistance is through my worldview that doesn't have the severity of their experience. Yeah, so for you, the worst case scenario is... Not being paid it's not well. Not being paid enough. At a very good job. At a very good job. Yeah. And having, <laughs> having people be mean to you online, potentially. Yeah. Having someone look at you weird in a shop. Yeah. Uh, Getting, whereas, you know, microaggressions. Yeah, being told that you're too angry and that you're, yeah, you know, that, that stuff. angry yeah, black yeah. lady stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas for your father, the worst case scenario is don't, don't step out of line. No. You'll get your teeth knocked out. Like exactly. that's still part of his mental vocabulary. You, that's not something you contemplate no. when you think about fighting for your rights. No. For um, me. No, exactly. And, for, 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 and, and that's why what I am aware of is that for some people my age, that is their reality, depending on where they, where they were brought up or or what their experiences are but for me it's not so again even in me saying that it's you can't please everyone but we have to be I guess open to the, our starting positions on the, on, the, on the front of the race yeah and to acknowledge and to acknowledge however even with this acknowledgement then it's you're, you're right it's how do we move forward in a way that you know doesn't you know, it's, just, it's a question I, I often think to myself, does, does resistance, I've been battling with this in my own kind of time and just thinking, I was, I was, I was watching the series, I finally caught up on it, on the OJ series. Mm. And actually, um, it was interesting because I was watching some commentary after of people in retrospect and actually people, African-American community at the time. And what they were saying is like, yeah, we know we absolutely knew he did it. But what we did at the time is because we had the Rodney King riots, because there was such police brutality, what we needed was a win. <laughs> and that overshadowed, let's say, the facts of the case. Um, and my, my question was, actually, does resistance and does fighting actually bring about change or are there other factors that maybe we're not privy to? Well, so for, again, for example, I think... This is an interesting, a super interesting thing yeah. because um, the, the, often the reference point nowadays for anti-fascist violent action yeah. is the civil rights movement yeah. and the fact that you had black people in the streets protesting yeah. and that it was a violent upheaval of society. And that is true. Yeah. That is one fact scenario that is set of yeah. facts that's true. There is also a set of facts that's true that part of the reason that this was allowed, part of the reason that yeah. it, it happened was that 
general society was open to it, that these ideas were being bandied around, that Mm -hmm. these conversations were being had, that these ideas were being aired, that the the civil upheaval, the, the riotous violence was not the cause as much as the consequence of society already opening a little and shifting a little and people feeling entitled to more rights and and a certain segment of society or having these conversations already. It didn't come out of nowhere. Nowhere. No, and we think perhaps too simplistically Mm. that it did and actually there was... You're, and you use the right word, I think, actually, was allowed, that the environment was ripe for the picking, in a way. Um, it, I mean, it was terrible. Terrible things were happening. But yeah, and was, it does, it's it not does, to you know, diminish the incredible sure. bravery and act of those people. Absolutely not. But, but you know, that, it, and, um, you know, even that, it's kind of even... My initial gut reaction to that, although I know it's true, is to then meet that with, you know, trying to kind of um, not to downplay that case to be true. But the, the reality is, is that, that, that there had to have been an environment that allowed the Million Man March to happen. You know, it, it, otherwise they would have just sent in tanks, you know? It, there was, a, there was a, a fear at a political level that there would be wide upheaval. And actually, when I was, you know, looking at towards the end of um, Martin Luther King's life, obviously to cut short, actually the, the last thing he was going to do was the Poor People's March, which a lot of people don't know about, which was actually what he had realised was that the once the working class and minorities joined, it would be a really tricky set of circumstances because actually it was poverty and class that was... That was yeah. binding a lot of people together. I mean, my understanding of America... I lived in New York for a year, yeah. so I have a very limited understanding of America. I travelled around a little bit. Um, was that in America, a lot of the time, race is used as a proxy for class. Mm-hmm. That a lot of things that are that are perceived as racism are only partly racism. It's not to say they're not racism, but they're they're classism as much as anything else. And that the divisions between the white working class and the working class that is black people and people of colour, that is an important division to maintain the stability of the hierarchy that exists. absolutely. Because... The moment people... And I think that's when you look at his later writings, is the moment that people suddenly dismantle that class system or take hold of it by the horns, the society could look very different. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the fact that the Ku Klux Klan is now mainly, predominantly trailer park, white people in trailer parks in the absolute bottom of society. If you tell them that they are privileged, they will laugh in your face. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're, you know, they're no. feeding their children buckets of cheesels because they can't yeah, yeah, afford yeah. proper nutrition. Yeah. And to them it is a ludicrous idea that, that their race is giving them privilege. Exactly. Or else it is the only thing that makes them feel better than other people. Well, absolutely. That is the only, the only thing that um, they can grasp to give them... I guess it's, it's what pulls them out of the mire to be superior to the people that are next to them of different colours or races. But actually, they're all sitting in the same class. So it's a differentiator. And then it's interesting to think about why is that important to us as humans? Yeah. I, I mean, this is sort of this is going to sound irrelevant and may well be yeah. irrelevant. <laughs> uh, did you follow the Conor McGregor fight 
yes uh recently recently with, with the um what's his name i can't remember i remember learning how to pronounce it for the bugle yeah <laughs> um he Conor McGregor insulted his family, yes. insulted his honour, insulted his religion, religion, and at the end of the fight, he leapt into Conor McGregor's entourage and started punching, yeah, I mean, sort of indiscriminately these no, people. people. Yeah, and my brother does Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and they yeah. were talking about it at the gym that where they all yeah, learn yeah. how to do this fighting. And his teacher, who came from the streets of Brazil, yeah. proper street fighter and was sort of saved by Brazilian jiu-jitsu in that way that martial arts can often be a really yeah. good route out of terrible poverty. My brother was saying, like, you know, for Conor McGregor, he's just, he's a wordsmith. He's playing games with words. He's an Irishman. They love that stuff. It's yeah. about it's saying the, the worst thing yeah. you can say. It's the entertainment factor of it all. The most beautifully <laughs> carved insult you yeah. can imagine. <laughs> That that is the game for him, and it's sort yes. of contextualised in a whole framework of whatever yeah, shit talking yeah. that is in all of these martial arts. Yeah, yeah, it's part of the game. But for this guy, and this is what the teacher, my brother's teacher, said to him: they have nothing. The the this no. his family in that in that culture in that environment, their honour is the only thing yeah. they have. Yeah. That is exactly yes. So for us, honour isn't important. No. Really. No, I mean not no. When you, when you, not when you look at other cultures where honour is um, so important. I mean, I was talking to my sister, just uh, this may seem irrelevant. We were watching the film 47 Run-In, which mm-hmm. is, yeah. With Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. What was, a great, it was, it terrible was, it was, film. It was a slow Saturday. What, <laughs> was, what a we wonderfully that. terrible film. I and enjoyed sister, that very much. My sister turned to me and said, so at the end, she goes to me, so is what you're telling me is that they killed themselves at the end. <laughs> I said, yes, that is what it is, Gabriel. And, it, and it, for us, it was just, I mean, insanity. Yeah. yeah because that level of honour means I, I couldn't even, I can't even conceive that. Yeah, the idea That's of honour in our society, particularly disintegrated after World War I and into World War II, Two. that that personal honour meant yeah. nothing. I mean, there's whenever these things come round in conversation... People talk about, you know, the men who fought and everything. Yeah. I think just just read Dulce et Decorum Est, yes. that poem, and then yeah. shut it all down. Like, it's a terror. Yeah, it yeah. was war became this horrendous thing, and then you yeah. had people like my grandmother who I'm, I'm sure from various stories that yeah. are told and the spaces in those stories yeah. did terrible things to survive. Mm-hmm. All of them did. Oh, yeah. Nobody, uh, I can't remember, I think Primo Levi said this and also my grandmother's best friend, one Mm -hmm. of her, she kind of made friends with a a gang of four others and they got through the war together. Yeah. He said, the best of us didn't make it out. No, well, absolutely not. Because that that survival instinct kicks in. I actually think it was Primo Levi that talked about um, in... The camps, I think he was saying, I'm sure, I don't want to misquote him, I'm sure it was him that was talking about even when, oh, it was Corey Tamboom, it was one of them that was saying that even in the always vivid image of, uh, I always remembered that even they were skin and bone, but other people in the camps were still trying to rape them. Mm. And it's this kind of, this idea of humanity is not as romantic 
as yeah. we would like to think, and it's actually... Uh, yeah, to go on another irrelevant tangent, at one point my mum had uh, some psychosis as a symptom or yeah, yeah, yeah. correlated with her MS uh, towards the end, and she was sent to a... Uh, she was sectioned yeah. for a while, and that was really hard and terrible, and, and her doctor said it's important that you emphasise that she's a fall risk, falls risk, and that right. she needs a 24-hour attendant. Right. Because, and this was true, because she would get up and wander around and yeah, fall yeah, over. Yeah. And once we got her out, we got her out as quickly as we could. Yeah. Um, and I think we put her in a dementia ward for a while because yeah. that was the only place that was equipped to deal with both kind of physical yes, yes, um, yes, yes. infirmities and mental. But he said afterwards that the reason that he had had her given a 24-hour attendant is because in those yeah. wards men and women are kept together and there are people who are in psychosis who will yeah, yeah, yeah. rape other yeah. inmates and it's a terrible thing. They're not in their right minds. No, 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 yeah, for sure. But it's even interesting that there is something about... I don't say it's not accepting the reality, or but even that's... There's so many issues, I think, or things in life where it's not exactly sugarcoating, but we feel the need to hide or disguise things to make them not palatable but also maybe for us to cope because having probably been told that information at the beginning that would have really rattled you guys yeah it would absolutely have yeah. we would have I would we would have broken no, exactly. her out like it wouldn't have, we wouldn't have left her in there for, yeah, even for as long as we did which was as short as we possibly could yeah but you know I would have no. been throwing Molotov cocktails I wouldn't (laughs) manage it but it is this thing I think there's two things at play one is we can't go through the world thinking about everything no it is impossible if you think about every step you take if you focus on every letter you type on a keyboard you find you can't type at all you most of our lives are habitual and outsourced to habits of thinking or you know, we assess situations very quickly in order to get through yes. life. If we treat every individual we see in the street, particularly in a big city, as a human being fully aware and conscious no. in the same way that we are, you couldn't walk down the street. No. And so we do have a tendency to impose patterns on the world and to understand the world through frameworks and all yes. of that is important to individual functioning in the world. But you just, I just think you need to be able to balance that yes with moments of like taking a step back, back critical thinking reassessing like almost like once a week put it put aside an hour to examine everything you believe yeah <laughs> i know it's, honestly it's uh, you know uh, uh, it is possible to challenge your own thinking on your own because actually it equips you so much better for the when you are challenged for real Mm. because you have to be it's again going back to that thing is we have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable which is like the same old phrase that we say but we rob ourselves sometimes of the opportunity I think when we kind of do this thing exactly what you said when we kind of walk through life operating purely in our subconscious and never tap into our conscious in terms of actually it's, do you know what it is it's easier mm. it's, hard, it's a harder route it's the narrow road to kind of stop think reevaluate and it's also self-reflection is painful yeah it's because you know to be able to say there are many things along the road i've kind of really thought i was really wrong about that 
Because actually then when you're really wrong about that, what is the next step with that? And it often is, there's an action. Yeah, it's an obligation. It's an obligation. Do I need to go back to somebody and say sorry? Or do I need to change the course of action you know it's yeah the same reason why it's very difficult for people to acknowledge their privilege yes because then it requires You're something compelled. Of you, you know and yeah. this is the problem with you know the much maligned white feminism is that people want rights but rights come with responsibilities Co- that you you know rights mean that you then have to yeah whatever it happens to be then there's nothing that infuriates me more <laughs> And again, that's a complete exaggeration. Of course, there's many things that infuriate me more. But one thing that infuriates me is uh, a friend of mine who insisted on men paying for everything. Right. And wanted to be a housewife. Yes. And a a luxury housewife, the kind of housewife who has help. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And at the same time demanded to be seen as a feminist. Yes. And I, I was thinking that's not... Yeah. I mean, this is a, that's a very exaggerated version yeah, of what yeah. it is, but it's, it's wanting all of the privileges that you've had that came bound up with disadvantages. That, exactly. Without any of the disadvantages. Yes. All, all of the, and you see this in some um, minority groups of wanting to have all of the privileges of being different without being treated as though you were different. Mm-hmm. And there's a balance there. There's a balance there. That's an unpopular opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a difficult one, and it's true. And to be honest, that is, it's not comfortable. It's super uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable to accept that actually, you know, getting those rights or getting what you said those advantages or going into new areas comes with a new set of circumstances in which you then have to operate. Yeah. And are you prepared for that? Yeah, is the question. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the tricky thing because I think even, you know, with with um, that, I saw this um, I was on Instagram actually and I saw this interesting thing. I mean, uh, t- to be fair, I mean, this this girl, she's a kind of a social commentator and um, she worded something really badly. But I mean, forget how work, you know, the, the backlash in terms of how she worded it, but she was kind of saying um, that she kind of posted some pictures of what some people had um put on Instagram which were I mean highly highly provocative pictures of these models I mean I would go as far to say soft porn mm-hmm. you know and notch down from probably being locked off yeah. Instagram and then her, her question was you know how do we balance this with our cries for not being objectified yeah that I mean and you see that a lot That's and a, it's, it's it's a conundrum it's super challenging because they're there is an empowerment to yeah. sexuality, but again, maybe that's an empowerment of a kind that has consequences. Maybe yeah. that's an empowerment of a kind that you might want to give up in exchange yeah. for other forms of empowerment. Yeah. It's a, it's a super. It is a super thing. I've been writing a joke about this or a song, yeah. particularly about that, about that particular balance that in me, myself, yeah. and yeah. I'm somebody who always identifies, uh, has identified with my mind, my intellectual capacity, and again, that is luck, that is genetic luck that I have, and, and upbringing that I've yeah. been brought up to think of myself in that way, and yeah. I was, you know, I had the luck to be an unattractive teenager and have to, yeah. you know, build an identity that was not based it's on my, the, yes. yeah, yeah, on yeah, my yeah, looks, sure. and, and then... And then on the other hand, if I want someone to be attracted to me, 
I want them to find me physically attractive. Yeah. That's a thing. That's a real yeah. thing. And I want to be admired and I want people to yeah. in, enjoy me. And that's a massive conflict. It's a massive conflict. My dad always said something to me, which I've always remembered. And he said to me, liberty is not license. Yeah. And I've always taken that and I thought to myself, yes, actually, just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should. That, I think, is a really unpopular opinion because I think having the, having the liberty to do something, if you don't take hold of that liberty, which then kind of counters what we said before, but if you don't take hold of that liberty in some instances, can be seen as, you know contrary and really contradictory it's kind of you know the 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 argument between people being hypersexualized or the other end of extreme modesty yeah and neither of those is i think a good operating system for a society where people are taken as individuals mm. i mean on both ends of that spectrum and I would argue that the extreme modesty uh, has a more damaging long-term impact, and mm. um, particularly if it is bound up with honour cultures, you end up with yeah, I mean, t- terrible violence and things. Yeah. But to kind of erase those yes, elements yeah, 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 yeah. of it, yeah. but in both of those situations, you are not an individual. You are a representative, you are a symbolic. Yes. So if you are in extreme modesty, uh, then you are a symbol of a woman. And if you are in extreme sexuality, you are also a symbol of a woman. You yeah. are not taken on your terms as an individual. Yes. And you become part of this corporate body. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I find, it, I find it really interesting. We're coming up to time. Yes. So two <laughs> things. Uh, first of all, um, where can people find you online? Yes. So um, people can actually just find me on one place, which is easy which is just my Instagram, which is Sarah underscore Greenidge. And that's it. I, I'm not the most prolific social media person, but you'll find my thoughts on there. Um, and then in terms of well-spoken, you can find us at wearewellspoken. Wearewellspoken.com. Thank you very much. You are welcome. <laughs> Stop it.
shadows at every frame. Loudly rifle, doll, loudly rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doffers, cry up your ends. Loudly rifle, doll, loudly rifle day. And when the boss he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie your ends up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally rifle, doll, lally rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lally rifle, doll, lally rifle day.